Hey, welcome back to this episode of the Upper Room Family Podcast. We are going to try to do one of these once a month where we pick a um, passage of the Bible. Sometimes it'll be a whole book. Sometimes it might just be a passage where we really, uh, the point of it is just a Bible study with men around a table um, drinking our hopeful soon-to-be sponsored Ghost Energy Drinks. <laughs> Uh, or Celsius, I'm not picky, uh, either one. Uh, if you want to sponsor the podcast, you could send me a case of it. But um, <laughs> anyway, we're uh, we're a little bit into some recording today, and we're going to be talking about the book of James. Um, just really, just was picking some, some passages out of there and um, was thinking about what books of the Bible to start with. James seemed like a short uh, book. It's only five chapters long, but it is packed full of content and valuable material that I think will actually uh, really flow quite nicely into our next podcast, which is uh, standing firm and being steadfast. Um, but we won't get into that too much, uh, but there might be some overlap here. So it's a long book. We're going to try to keep this to about 20 minutes, 25 minutes or so. Um, I know we've got pages and pages of notes we could do. Good luck, Dr. Dave. Good luck. <laughs> we could do like, you know, a whole sermon series on James and it would probably take you 12 Sundays to possibly get through. So um, I just thought I would start out with um, just this term that that has come up for me in a couple of different areas. And I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm trying to maybe even start doing this more is just when he addresses who he's speaking to, James, quite often in, in like specifically in verse 19, he says, beloved, right? This idea of like greeting others with this deep affection of care, right? Whereas, um, Mike, if you have, I'm not open to James yet in my Bible, but uh, just, you know, verse 19, I think he says, um, you know, beloved brothers. What is that? I, I have a version that says, my dear brothers and sisters. Okay. Oh, I have beloved, so I'll get it. Yeah, go ahead. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, speak, and slow to anger. Yeah. Um, I just like that term, beloved. And I think in the Christian church, uh, you know, maybe, let's see, tomorrow's Sunday. So maybe when you uh, go there, if you have a elder role or something, um, you know, just, you know, I don't know that we have to use the word beloved, but... Um, there is something about that, just recognizing that, that there's this deeply held affection between the body of believers, um, one with another. And I think James is really good at pointing that out uh, through how he writes to those uh, brothers there. All right, I'm going to kick us off, beloved, with... <laughs> <laughs> I like what you did there. I like what you did there. Um, just real quick overview, chapter one, testing of your faith. Um, you know, James greets um, uh, who he's writing to. This is to the 12 tribes. Um, he says, greetings, uh, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness um, or and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, this is a very common um, Bible verse that you would hear a lot of Christians talk about, count it pure joy. Um, you know, when you're tested, it's really hard to say someone who's say to someone who's in that period of testing, but uh, it is part of washing them with the word of, of 
just joy under pressure, joy under that, that testing, because you know the fruit that it's going to produce. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're in it, when you're the one being pruned, when you're the one who's going through that, it's hard to understand um, what that fruit is going to yield, right? If you have ever seen somebody really actually prune like a blueberry bush or an apple tree, you think that tree is going to die because they've taken so much off of it. And that tree itself, um, you know, may not really feel, feel it in the moment, but that next season of harvest, it just produces an abundance of, of fruit. It's one thing that I wanted to highlight there. Um, so again, I think it's one of these verses that, um, we don't just want to skim over because we've heard it so many times, right? Like really think about it. Like, are you counting it pure joy? Um, you know, as it's, as James says, like my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for, you know, he's reminding them, like, I know you don't maybe feel it now, but you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Um, yeah, I think I love the emphasis that James has there on joy, because when you look at Psalms 51 and David is going through and he's repenting, he one of the, his prayers is restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And in Nehemiah 8, he talks about like the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I think in our daily lives, when we whenever we're like sinning or failing, one thing that does not characterize our demeanor is the joy of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like we've lost that joy mm-hmm. because that joy is our strength. And according to James, he's like, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face these trials. And it's an interesting concept that, yeah, like when we lose sight of the joy of the Lord, that's when we start to look at our trials instead of looking at Christ. That's when the we look at the waves instead of at Christ. Mm-hmm. It's like, when we lose we lose that power that we have in christ because we no longer have the joy of our salvation Mm -hmm. i think uh one thing that's lost i think it's really hard for me even is just goal setting to 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 look at the end end picture where what do i want my life to look like in five years 10 years 20 years and i think a really good goal for all of us is to be mature and complete like that would be a very high goal like i want to be a mature, complete person, someone that's so integrated, someone that's so has a life of integrity that uh, there's just such power there, there's such fullness there. I want that, and I think that's a good goal. And, and God, willing, that's what He's, that's what He wants for me. He wants me to mature and complete. So I, I think uh, this verse makes to me it's like makes perfect sense uh, that like you know there's joy in a trial because the trial can bring endurance. And endurance leads to mature and completeness. So it's like, this is the road. Like, yeah, you, you want to be mature and complete? Like, yes, yes, I do. Well, then get excited. Get excited when life doesn't go the way you think it should. Be, be ecstatic about that because that's the road to maturity. Like, you can actually have a, a perspective that doesn't, I'm, I'm somebody who likes control. So when life doesn't go the way I want it to go, I often can get morose and self pitying and, um, go down a, a dark hole that I don't need to beca- because I have that wrong perspective. Like, God, you're in control. You knew this was going to happen and you're with me. And this is an opportunity for me to endure, to endure in my faith in you and trust in you. And that's going to bring completeness in my life. So it is such a great verse. Mm-hmm. One of the themes you see in James is faithfulness 
and being like steadfast in the things of the Lord. And it talks about like riches and it talks about the man who like yearns after these things and gives his life to these things. One of the things that I've been really convicted of lately is like what actually truly matters in life. Mm. And you do realize it's hard, like in me running a business and stuff, like you do give all this effort and all this energy to the things of God or like the things of man and like providing for your family and stuff like that which is very, very important, but it can be very easy to chase that and just to look at James and be like, all these things fade away so quickly and they're all so like, meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Like, Do those things with purpose, but like, also have them in their proper place. Mm-hmm. And I think one of, everything, one of the things I went to recently was a funeral service for a guy who was like, really, really impactful in his community. And it was amazing to see. Like, everyone talks about like, when you die, like, what people say, like, that's what, like, what your, your life was about <clears throat> in his life. Like, yes, he provided for the people around him. Yes, he worked extremely hard every day, but that's not what people talk about. They talk about his incredible faithfulness and then the impact you see of just, like, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that are showing up because just how faithful and steadfast he was, like, to the Lord, the people around him and in life, and it's such a strength, and it's like, whoa. Like, it's just you sit there and you're just thinking about, like, all these things I'm striving for. Like, I'm kind of chasing after the wind. And, like, the purpose behind all these things is to be steadfast, like, to be a man of God. Like, just to think, just to see that and be like, this person was a man of God. I want to be, like, a man of God. I'm going to be steadfast in what is most important in life. And, like, yes, I'm going to do everything with excellence. But, like, to center your day and your life and your mission on, like, the things of God and the power that brings and the life that brings to the people around you and the joy that can bring to life versus just striving after things that will fade away, that will leave you unsatisfied at the end of the day. It's just the purpose that's like insanely more than you could ever like imagine. And if you truly dig into James and you see that, like be steadfast in the Lord and like these are like this is the base like core of who humans are and like this is how they're fully designed to operate is like so powerful in James. Like that theme is so like prevalent. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of freedom in living in the guardrails of endurance, of just persevering in a path for a long period of time, assuming that's, you know, a, a wise, godly path. There's there's just so much freedom in to enjoy the things of this world and enjoy God, enjoy relationships. So, yeah, I can, I can relate to what you're saying. Yeah, I like, it reminds me of Ecclesiastes, because a lot of people will look at Ecclesiastes and they'll be like, Ecclesiastes is just like a sad book. It's just like (laughs) everything's meaningless. But the actual point of Ecclesiastes is like the wisest man in the world reflecting on what what the world's about, like what what's the purpose of this life. And so it's actually like a really deep book about meaning. And at the end of the book, how he wraps everything up is like this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. Mm-hmm. And so I just off of what Kemal was saying, I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, like there is a deep purpose to this like meaningless life, but we mm-hmm. we have to keep that in the forefront of our minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot that could be covered. Um the next verse that I really wrote down that I really wanted to talk about in James is James two uh seventeen specifically. Um, this idea of, you know, faith and works being connected, uh, you know, and I think 
you know, I think this is something that I've, I've grown up in two different systems. One being, you know, very works related and like your faith doesn't really mean much because it's all about works. And then, you know, kind of navigating to the other side of the pendulum where it's all about faith and grace and works really don't matter that much because, you know, it's really about relationship with God and, and, and that, and you know, what James is saying is like, uh, if you have a relationship with God, you've got works to back that up. And uh, so I just wanted to read a couple passages there, specifically uh, two, starting with uh, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Question mark. That's a question. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And that word dead is necros. Um, and if you're in the medical field, you know, like there's, um, you know, necrosis, right? That's, that's the same root word, which means like the, the cellular, at the cellular level, there is death. There is, uh, that cell can no longer survive. It's imploding and actually its cellular walls are rupturing. Um, so, you know, when it says like faith without works is dead, well, it's, it's broader than that. It's, it's like, okay, yeah, it's dead. Like we sort of understand that. No, no, like it's, it's, it's imploding upon itself. It is no longer sufficient to, for any good it is no good. It's good for nothing. That cell when, when it, during necrosis is, cannot be saved. It's dead. Um, and then he goes on to give some examples, but, um, you know, it says in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So there's my two like upbringings, right? Like kind of kind of this trying to navigate that, right? Like how much of it is works? How much is it of faith? Well, you have faith, but I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And I think what he's coming across here is like, Merely claiming to have faith um, is doesn't mean that you possess that saving faith. It's like I have faith, I have this academic faith, but I don't necessarily believe it enough to actually do something about it. And um, you know, I think what what James is saying is like even the demons believe, like they shudder, you know. But you know, that's I don't know. You know, it's just it's just not not enough um and then he concludes this section um of scripture the rest of the chapter by talking about abraham and you know was he not justified by works when he offered up his son isaac on the altar right he heard the lord's calling and he acted on it and he was justified by that work um and he says you see that faith was active um along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was a friend of God you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead. 
What do y'all think about that? I, I heard John Piper give a good analogy that I think helped help me make sense of this in that um, the, the faith and the works, how they fit together. He said, imagine that your salvation is like God gives you a house and he is that house. You're going to live in Christ and live with him in that house. And it's a gift. He just gives it to you. So some to, to work for your salvation would be like, oh, thank you, God, for this. But now I'm going to pay a mortgage on this house. I'm going to, I'm going to earn this. And, and James is like, no, 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 that, no, you, you, that's not, that's working for your salvation. That's not what he's talking about. It's also not this like, okay, God, thank you for the house. Now I'm going to graffiti it. I'm going to tear down walls. I'm going to uh, kind of live in a tent out in the backyard sometimes. Like I'm not really going to live in it. It's like, well, you're not, you're not with me. You're not in the house. You're not becoming like me. Like you're, you're, you have really no desire to be with me. Again, not saving faith. So what saving faith looks like is like, God, thank you. Thank you for this house. I, I want to live with you. I want my life to be close to you and who you are. And we know, we just know in just everyday practical, logical terms that we always become who we're, who we're around. We become like who we love. And because we love God, we treasure him, we just naturally become like him. We naturally start living like him. So we, our lives will look a certain way. They'll look godly. They'll look like people that really love and treasure the Lord Jesus because we're living with him in his house. We didn't earn the house. He, uh, we're not special. We're not anything. You know, God's not like, wow, I got to have Mike on my team. He's like, here, you don't deserve it all, but I'm going to give you me. You're going to live with me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, thank you. I love you so much. This is awesome. And so my life looks like someone who actually loves the Lord, who treasures him and his ways. And those, those are the works that'll flow out because I'm living with God in his house. I'm living with him. One of the things to Dave's point that you see with faith, uh, if you look in Hebrews, like Hebrews 11 gives you all these examples of like faith with works and like producing righteousness. So, like at the beginning of Hebrews 11, it's like now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. And then it's like, bam, here are all these examples of God working with people. They were like relying on God. They all died before they saw, like, saw all these things come to fruition, but they trusted the Lord. They had faith in Him that this was going to happen. And what does it say in um, Hebrews 13? It says that that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith because the joy set before him, he endured the cross, like scoring his shame. And that is like, Jesus is at the center of what we hope for and what like our conviction of the world to become. Like God has prepared a place for us. And we're trusting that even in this world, like we will have trouble, trouble, but God has overcome the world. The faith is that like that God is our greatest reality and that we can fully trust and put our faith in him. And that reality is super powerful. Like James is talking about, and then it's not like we read the Bible and we're told something and we're not like, this is just like how it is. It's like there is one of the things that James says is the truth, like that comes from above with reason. Like there is a, it's not like God just like, okay, just like have faith. He's like, no, all these people have faith. Like the entire scripture is giving you examples of people that are like trusted in the Lord and like God will always keep his promises. Like God will provide for you if you put your faith and your trust in him. And then also not just being like this, just this whimsical hope of like, I just believe I'm going to say I believe it, but it's like 
staking your life and all your actions upon the faith you have will result like in that relationship and eternity with God. Mm-hmm. Let's jump ahead so we can uh, try to get through this whole book. Uh, please read it yourself. There's so much that we're jumping over. Um, verse 4-2 uh, stuck out to me because I hear this all the time and people it's one of those verses that people say because it's like Instagram worthy or it's quotable um, but nobody wants to put the context around the rest of <laughs> what is happening uh, murder being one of them right before the this verse so this verse if you just read it yourself and you don't read the whole part of it uh, it's the last part of verse 2 it says you do not have because you do not ask and I hear that. I've heard that like throughout my life. Well, you don't have because you don't ask. It's like, okay, but like the, that's a nice little phrase, but let's let's read a little more context around that. So it starts with a question, right? Like what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then here's a warning. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. (laughs) I just like, like, it's not just that you ask and like, no, no, no. Like, it's how you ask and it's why you're asking and it's the, the intent behind your desires, right? Uh, is it, are you asking because you want this? And it's not a, uh, this is also not a prosperity gospel, you know, message of like, well, you, you don't have, cause you don't ask, like God's a powerful God. He'll give you, you know, all the desires of your heart. And like, these things are, are like riddled with grains of truth, but it's so taken out of context mm. that you get to that prosperity gospel. And And I think this is pretty, pretty strongly worded that, um, you know, when he, when he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I mean, that these are some strong words right after this whole idea of like, you don't have because you don't ask. And, and it's quite a bit of warning there that he, um, that James goes through. And um, specifically here, like, if you're if you're friendly with the world and the world's the way the world is going, you are at are at war with God. You're at enmity. I can't say that word. Enmity with God. I think the what's my by the world here is just the idea of me first. I will be God, and that's what uh, the beginning of chapter four. That's mm-hmm. what that's where conflicts, interpersonal conflicts, come from. It's me first. I will be God, and you will bow to my desires. And if you don't, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill your reputation. I'm gonna kill you. Like this, this murder is like I will destroy your point of view. I'll uh, destroy you among your peers. I will cancel you. I will win, and you will lose because I am God, and you need to live like I'm God as well. And. we can Christianize this and or spiritualize this. Like, well, I'll, I'll go. I talk to God, and and God wants things my way. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa! Like, you're asking with wrong desires. You're you're still trying to get God 
almighty God to try to act like you're God. And you're not. You're not him. And that's where these uh, quarrels and fights often stem from is because this underlying thinking that I will be God. I have good plans. And, and often it's not, from my perspective, for me, when I do this, it's not because I have like really evil desires. It's like, I just want, I just want the house to be orderly. You know, I have these good things. And how dare you bring disorder to my home? Ah! Then like, you know, I'm, you know, can be yeah. very difficult and, and quarrely and, and these things because things are not going my way and I will not surrender to God. And so I think this is a super, super helpful verse. And if we keep reading, it's like, humble yourself, humble mm-hmm. yourself, realize who you are, remember who you are, remember who God is. He's got a good plan. Please, you know, go to him. I need to go to him and say, God, I'm, I'm out of line here. I think I'm wiser than you. I hold myself before you. Help me bless the people even when I think things are not going the way they should. Help me to be um, not a tyrant, not selfish, not me only. Uh, that's, I think this is a super, I love James, and this is a super helpful verse for, for me. Mm-hmm. There's another cliche verse coming up. Uh, so, again, I'll, I'll see how many of you can finish this, right? Resist the devil and... Familiar. Right, yeah. What's it say before that? Submit yourself to God. <laughs> it's like, like, you know, in those trials, right? It's like people are like, well, just resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, you have to do something first before you even have the strength to even attempt, or not attempt, but like you have to do something. You can't resist the devil on your own. You have to submit yourself to God. And through God's strength is what he's saying, you can resist the devil mm-hmm. and he will flee because he can't be in the presence of God without God allowing him to be, as we see in Job. But like, you know, he can't be in the presence of God, but he can be in you, right? This worldly idea, this this fleshly desire, this sinful nature, and you can't resist him on your own. So he clearly says, submit yourselves to God come under God's authority and God's uh, salvation, and then you will be able to resist the devil and he will flee. But so often we just, you know, Christians are the worst at this. Like we just capture these little like nuggets that are like nice to say or something quick to say, but um, you've got to understand what the context is. So if next time somebody says, resist the devil and he'll flee, say only after I've submitted myself to God, right? Like let's make sure that we're capturing um, the whole essence. Anyway, James is a long, is a much longer book than I thought. There's so much in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how he, I'll conclude and wrap us up with this concluding remark. And it's, it's how James concludes the book himself, right? Just this idea. And I'm not, I won't read it all, but you know, he concludes with pulling back the one who wanders from truth. And you will save their soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Meaning, you know, this word cover, right? Like sins are overlooked. They're not going to be punished because they have been brought back. They're repentant and therefore covered by the blood. And, you know, there's so much value in, in, in looking at those around you who are wandering from the truth, who maybe attend church infrequently, or they, they just don't seem to be still in alignment with scripture to pull them back. And by doing so, you will be saving their soul from death. And, you know, his his emphasis on that at the end of just talking about the tongue, we didn't even talk about like the tongue and, and how, how evil that is, this idea of steadfastness, um, you know, um, you know, asking and, and, and um, how you ask and, and, 
uh, you know, what we just talked about there in, in um, chapter four. He concludes also in five with this idea of anointing and prayer being powerful uh, to, to heal. And so, you know, look at those around you who is wandering away, pull them back, take every effort to pull them back. Their soul is at stake. And by doing so, you will bring them um, back from death. Anything else you guys uh, want to get off your chest? No, I think that was a good wrap. Yeah, Yeah. good. Read the book of James yourself. There's a lot that we did not cover. Don't take this as your own study. Um, Hopefully this is just a resource for you to cover some main topics. uh, The book of James. And um, we're going to jump right into our next podcast here very shortly on steadfastness. And most of my verses were also from James. So you'll kind of get a double (laughs) dose there. Thanks for listening. And we'll uh, see you on the next episode.